0: Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. My guest this week is known as a consummate team player, a former point guard who was notable for being a figurative bridge both during his Hawaii playing days and today as a Spectrum Sports basketball commentator. I speak, of course, about Johnny White. 20 years ago, at the turn of the century, he was the lead playmaker for two years, spanning two better-known eras, the dynamic duo teams of the late 1990s and the internationals of the early 2000s. Today, he's an eighth year member of the familiar TV crew, providing analysis pregame, halftime, and postgame with a forthright and affable demeanor. Hear what Johnny has to say about Hawaii's season opening 83 50 win over Hawaii Pacific, in which the host of the Bowes newcomers saw court time and UH rolled in the second half following a sloppy first. Meanwhile, in the UH women's opener last weekend, the Rainbow Wahine fell victim to a hot shooting Hawaii Pacific squad that showed the same medal the Sharks used to go 29-1 and last year in D2. The 82-74 to outcome was the first of 27 chances that a local D2 team beat the Wahine in an official game. Amy Atwell led the Wahine with 21. Both UH teams are synced up with a local D2 again this weekend, with the UH men hosting Hawaii Hilo at 7 p.m. Saturday and the women hosting the Vulcans at 2 p.m. Sunday at Simplify Arena, Stan Sheriff Center. Now here we go with Johnny White. Check out Mike and Kara at No Ka'oi Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email auto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense podcast for a 10% discount. Okay, on this week's edition of the Court Sense podcast, I'm joined by a guy who is no stranger to the analysis video camera, Mr. Johnny White, who does spectrum sports analysis for UH men's basketball games, pregame, postgame, halftime, former Rainbow Warrior himself, point guard under Riley Wallace. Johnny White, welcome to the pod, man.
1: Hey, Brian, happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's a timely time to have you on because the Rainbow Warriors finally got underway for this this strange already just unprecedented uh 2020-21 basketball season. Yeah, it, it sounds is- unfortunate that 2020 still has to appear on the name of that of the season for how just off the wall it's been. But
1: it's been an off-the-wall roller coaster year since the start of 2020. And I'm just happy that sports are back to, to some extent. It you know, s- sports does so much for for many people. And I think, you know, over the summer we had MLB, you had NBA, NHL, and, and you know, it, it gave us an opportunity to, to see that there's some light at the end of the tunnel, right? We, we have some hope out there. And college basketball is one of those sports that just, you know, it brings people together. You, you have fun. You, and it's, it's just it's just great to, to, to see it back.
0: So, Johnny, I got to ask, what was it like for you being in that vacant mostly vacant Stan Sheriff Center no fans most of the the media covering up on like the concourse level was that where you were uh how did you kind of call the game as far as yeah. your analysis went
1: Brian it, it was kind of surreal right because you know the Stan Sheriff I always tell people the Stan Sheriff well it, it's a it's simple fire arena, right. arena at Stan Sheriff now it is one of the best arenas to go in whether it's an NBA stadium or arena or you know a, a power five because there's really no bad seat in the house and it doesn't have to be a full house to be real energetic right and it was a little bit surreal just because you didn't have that obviously you know for the safety and health health of, of, of people and the players and coaches but uh, I think Spectrum and, and Rich Sheriff they did a, an amazing job Providing, providing a providing a space and an environment where it, it was conducive to getting the game done and keeping everybody's health and safety in at, at forefront. And I mean they had us as far as the camera crew it Scott Robbs, Kavika, and myself, it they made it to look like we were sitting right next to each other, but we were spread out maybe a hundred feet in between us. No right? way. A hundred yeah. feet. So I was I was like at the 50 yard line. Scott Robb, was in, in one end zone, and Kavika was in the other end zone. Right now, and that seems
0: we, excessive. That that what? <laughs> I mean, the social distancing is one thing. That just seems excessive.
1: Right. Well, I I think they had to do it that way because we 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 all we each had our independent camera. Right. So for okay. the camera space and the monitoring and the lights, they probably had to do it that way, or it would look, you know, a light would be shining in my background and it'll be off. Or I mean, they're they're smarter and they know why they position things like they do. But it it was kind of it was kind of strange because you know I mean thank God that Kavika and Scott and myself we have a relationship to where we kind of know one each other, one another. We kind of know who's gonna say something or who's gonna go first, and we trust one another. But you didn't have that opportunity. like if because sometimes you get stuck and you don't have anything to say. So I bump Kavika or he would bump me or you know Scott Robs to take it. And uh, but you didn't have that, so you had to be ready, right? Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting. But at the same time, I'm just glad we were at the game, back at the Simplify, back at the Simplify Arena, and and calling college basketball.
0: Well, if that doesn't sum up just what kind of year it's been, I if, <laughs> if there's any better example than that, I I would love to hear it because that is that is bizarre.
1: Yeah, um, it, it was wh- bizarre.
0: Well, it was, uh, in the end, an 83-50 to win for the Rainbow Warriors over Hawaii Pacific, who, you know, gave them a bit of a game early on. It was kind of an ugly first half, Mm -hmm. uh, close game at halftime. UH got some points right before the half to at least give them a lead, and then they poured it on in the second half to the point where Coach Gannott was able to pretty much empty his bench, give all the newcomers a look, Uh, and Hawaii was able to secure a second game against a local D2, this time Hawaii Hilo, Going to be this Saturday at the at the Simplify Arena at Stown Sheriff Center. That's going to take some getting used to for me. Uh, so you'll be back there, Johnny, with with the uh, the, the pregame uh, uh, crew, the the providing your analysis and of what to expect and whatnot. So I, on that note, I want to ask you kind of some of your analysis from this past game. Um, just I guess overall impression, kind of the, the way that that game went, as as I talked about, slow start and then an explosive second half.
1: I think that slow start was warranted when you, when you have eight newcomers and you, you really only had three returning players who had any significant minutes and, and who played, where um, Webster, Monte Colina, and Justin Hemsley. And it's just it, – it was ugly that first half, but like I say, Brian, it, it was to be suspected. I think they played hard. They just played unsure a lot you know um when you don't have many reps with your with your teammates it's just you're not comfortable and, and as you know ganat's offense it can be it's, it's a wide open offense but it can be a little bit complex so if you're not sure of yourself that that tends to to have you lack confidence lack trust um and more so lack belief in the system because you hadn't played in it you you don't know if 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 Webster is going to come off that screen ready to shoot, if you can and have that anticipation, so it it was a little rough that first half, but they did play hard, and I, I truly believe you know they they realized that Coach Gannott was a head coach going into halftime because he probably hadn't really screamed at him all year, and then he kind of reamed them at halftime, and they came out and and continued to play hard. They executed a little a little better, and, and they you know they won convincingly and they played inside out a lot that second half. And I think that that's where they're going to pretty much dominate a lot this season. And I, I feel that the team, their makeup this year fits coach Gannat's system because they have um, those stretch four or five guys who can, who can trail and, and knock down that three point shot I feel there actually could be a better three point shooting team this year Than they were last year with Eddie Stansberry, just because they can stretch the floor with their wings, and and the and the and the perimeter guys and the four and five guys can can really knock down that three. Um, Gene Marie, as well as Caston, Monte Colina not so much, but he did he did his job in the front court as well. So I I feel that it's going to take some time, which they really don't have because conference is right around the corner, but they just don't trust one another yet. They're, they're not confident. They are, they, you know, that, that belief is growing each day, but they're not comfortable yet.
0: Right. Yeah. Well said. And I mean, to your point about the the stretch man in the front court, yeah. You know, last year, all credit to Zigmar's Rimo for the four year career he had and and building himself into a, just a rugged, you know, consistent producer for them, but outside shooting was not his you know, forte and they, and they really tried to get him to, to work on that and, and be able to shoot that consistently, confidently from outside. And it just Absolutely. didn't materialize. And I think that maybe, you know, in some ways limited a lot of what they could run um, it, like having a, like a Jack purchase type, you know, in that right. four spot. And right. I think that they have, you know, Kazden Jardine as a guy who can step mm-hmm. out and do that. As you said, Johnny, and, and James Jean Marie showed that he could step out as well. And um, you know, when Bernardo da Silva comes back, Maybe not so much for him, but I don't think he's a guy they necessarily require for him to do that. Um, my question for you, Johnny, is when they get Bernardo back, what kind of yeah, what kind of front court dynamic do you see there? I mean, that's three pretty talented guys to to figure out, you know, where they go, and then also, of course, Mate, who who had like a 17 point career high game as a true seven footer. So how how do you see that front court kind of mix shaking out?
1: I see the front court being being very diverse. I mean, you're going to have those true post guys and Cholina and De Silva and De Silva can control the boards. He, he can finish with the best of them. Monte's that big body. Um, I, I was hoping we saw that kind of reinventing yourself with Monte Cholina like Zigmar Raimo did coming into his junior year from his sophomore to junior. Year. It was like a completely different player. He showed some of that in, in, the, in the preseason or the exhibition, or actually it was a real game for UH. He showed some of that against HPU. However, can he sustain it? I mean, he runs the floor um, very well. He gets deep position. But, again, are they going to run the offense through him? Because, you know, last, last season they ran the offense, offense through Drew Bugs and Zigmar Raimo he Zingmar was able to initiate offense a lot through the mid post and high post. Cause he was such a great passer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have a, a four man who can do that part right now, just cause they don't know the offense as well as, as casting and, and James Jean Marie, but they, they do have that ability to stretch the court, be that trailing big man set high picks and pops and knock down some three point shots.
0: So speaking of the three point shots, Johnny, they went 0 for 9 in the first half, and I believe 6 for 11 in the second half, finished 6 for 20. So it was really night and day as far as how they were were stroking the three ball. And, I mean, you could see how gummed up things got in that first half when they, they couldn't hit an outside shot. Uh, mm-hmm. In contrast to the second half, it really firing on all cylinders. Uh, which of those two do you think was, might we see more of this year, of those two kind of Jekyll and Hyde's?
1: I I think you're going to see the latter, the second half, because I think the execution is going to get better. Um, The first half, they were taking a lot of contested threes, even the bigs were. And the second half, they executed a little bit more, and it was more in rhythm. And Ganon is all about, you know, let's turn down this good shot to get a great shot. One more, one more pass, one more pass. And If they continue that mentality, I feel that, as I mentioned before, they will be a much better – perimeter shooting team than we've seen in the last couple of years
0: okay well johnny you're a former point guard i mean you were a true pass first point guard uh top 10 in career assists at uh and 4.3 a game for the two years uh 1998 to 99 and 99 2000 that you played in manoa so my question for you there johnny is what did you see out out of the point guard spot because uh noel coleman did get the the start at the position the university of san diego transfer uh, but it was uh a very much kind of shared position uh, in that opener against HP. Um we saw Cameron Ng get, you know, like 13 minutes playing the point um off the bench. Javon McClanahan ha- had some time there. How do how do you kind of see that shaken out because that was your position?
1: That's gonna be a challenge one all season, I think, for for UH, because as I said before. In Coach Gannat's system, he, he relies heavy on that point guard to not just know his position, but to know what everyone on that floor should be doing as far as timing and, and communicating with everyone. I, I'm not sure if Coleman is a vocal leader. Um, Drew Bucks, he grew into that, but Drew Bucks had a very high basketball IQ. Not saying that Coleman doesn't. I just hadn't seen him play that much. Um, and... Javon McClanahan, I, I think he he can be a dynamic player. It's just we hadn't seen him enough yet. So I, I don't want to put something out there and, and and we just don't know. I know Coleman is a super athletic um player. 42 inch vertical. I, I saw him do a windmill and, and one was like, oh my God. Um but you know that doesn't translate to on court, being that leader, being being the captain of the ship, being the extension of Coach Gannat on the floor and making sure you're keeping everybody happy within the realm of you competing on, on both ends as well. I would say this, you know, they, they, they tease Justin Webster a little bit, playing the point as well. I did not has his thing, but I, I think Justin Webster is, is better off the ball. I, I, I wouldn't sacrifice taking what he brings to the table to make him focus on being a point guard. Cause it's a lot, you know, you got to really think a lot about every minute of the game when you're that point guard and Justin Webster, I think he thrives more. He doesn't have to think as much when he can just run floor, catch and shoot, be aggressive, not worrying about getting others involved as much and, but making the right play. But I think he thrives more off the ball.
0: No, it's a good point. And I think ideally that's the way they want to use them, at least from what I had gathered from uh, speaking to to assistant coach Chris Gerlison. Um But yeah, so in that game, Webster uh, got up the most shots of anybody on the team. He took 12 field goal attempts at five, uh, finished with uh, 12 points. So uh, basically a point per field goal attempt, which is in that, you know, maybe not efficiency mold, but volume volume shooting mold. Uh, Also played a team high 27 minutes. So he's going to be a guy who gets out there quite a bit is a team captain. It's only a sophomore co-captain. So, so I think a bright, bright future, fair to say, right, Johnny, for, for young uh, Justin Webster. And um, James Jean Marie did lead the team overall with 21 points, 11 rebounds Kazan Jardine 11 uh, and five boards. And then as we said, Monte Cholina with the career highs for him. So I'll be interested to see how much of that, uh, continues into into game two you know even with another it being another local d2 team a game's a game at this point and they need as many as they can get Uh, so all right johnny from there let's let's pivot going a little bit more more towards you man because i know people have seen your face (laughs) on these spectrum broadcasts for years i think most most are aware that you are a former rainbow warrior player point guard as we said uh but i think just kind of delving into your backstory would would be interesting i think for for me and a lot of folks so uh, I always knew you were from Florida. I mean, I first got to know you when you are on the staff of, of Bob Nash, uh, helping out as like a graduate assistant, right? For You were there for a couple of years with, with Coach Nash. You, yourself and and Tim Shepard and mm-hmm. Tess Whitlock were all kind of there at the same time, right? Uh, helping out all former players. Uh, so you're from Orlando. You, you um, Jones High School there in, in Florida, right? And uh, went the junior college route at uh, what is now Eastern Florida State College, had a different name when you were there. You can maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Mm -hmm. How did it come to be that just growing up uh, playing basketball in Florida and then then making that pivotal decision to find your way out here?
1: It was the – basketball was the last sport that I picked up as a kid because when you grow up in Florida, obviously you're outside all year round because the weather permits, similar to Hawaii. But the first sport you learn is – Baseball, so I started playing t-ball at age five, and then Florida's a huge football state, and then I started playing football, and then I got a taste of basketball when I was ten years old, and from there it's just I didn't I didn't like being outside playing football and baseball because it was so hot and you were in the gym, and so I, I fell in love with basketball, um, played all lettered in all three sports in high school, and had had opportunities to do for to go play football in college as well, and again, I was, basketball was my third love, but first love, and um, went, I had to go the JUCO route, Um, obviously, back then, they had some things that were called Prop 48, so I had the opportunity to do that, but I chose to go JUCO, because I didn't want to sit out a year, I didn't test well, um, coming out, with my SATs, and I went to Juco at Bavard Community College, which is now Eastern Florida State, where our guy, Junior, my dog, went. And I, you know, I, I had a successful career there, really thrived, and somehow Coach Wallace got wind of me. Him and Coach Nash came to a couple games, and, and it was the only game I've ever fouled out in my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> I've never fouled out on any level, Brian. And I file out when the University of Hawaii is there. And however, they still, you know, we, we went back to my home that weekend and they still offered me and I committed early. And, and yeah, and that's how I got to Hawaii and play here my two years. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that for the world. Hawaii has been a, a place for me that I now call home. Um, and just, you know, the people here have been so... Welcoming of of players who played at Universal Hawaii, whether they're local players or or from the mainland, and it's just been a, a really good good experience for my life.
0: So, do you ever get to go back? I mean, all your family still back there in Florida?
1: All my family is still back in Florida. I go back about twice a year. A lot. My my family actually comes out here probably once a year as well because my my. My stepfather um, actually worked for Delta for like 60 years. So we had flight benefits. So it wasn't a big deal for me to go to the University of Hawaii because my family came out once a month when I was in school here and I can fly home at any time back then. Now I can't fly much standby because it's so, so busy. But in the late 90s and early 2000s, you could just go to the airport and get on a plane and be home in 10 hours. Right. So yeah, I mean my my family Hawaii is is a special place for my family as well. They come out as 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 often as they can and I get back home about twice a year.
0: That's um I think well ha- being recruited directly by coach Wallace like that is kind of a kind of a rare honor. Like during his 20 years as head coach, I mean Jackson Wheeler did so much of it. Yeah. I don't know how much like direct personal recruiting coach Wallace did where that you had to have been in the minority there, right?
1: I, I, yes, definitely. I can remember, believe it or not, it was Riley Wallace and Jeff Portno sitting at my mom's dining room table. Well, that's <laughs> unfortunate. Who no, is this kidding. guy? Right? You know, <laughs> sitting at my mom's dining room table. So Jeff Portno always takes credit for forgetting me to commit, but I, I don't oh, man. know. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. So, well, Johnny, as, as I said, I mean, you arrived for the 99, or I'm sorry, 98- dash 99 season first as a junior uh, you had the probably unenviable position of filling in for one AC Carter yes who who had just finished his eligibility Uh, you know of course the dynamic duo with uh, Alika Smith back-to-back NIT tournament appearances two of the most popular teams in in school history it it was it fell on you uh, you know as the primary point guard after that and I know there are a lot of new, incoming new pieces. Guys like I think Marquette Alexander came in the same time uh, as Jeremy you did. Robinson. Jeremy Robinson, uh, Aaron Galloway was a holdover from the previous year. C- Casey Cartwright, Robinson, Mike Casey Robinson. Cartwright. So you had this mix of a bunch of athletic guys, and I know that was a rough year overall. I think it it
1: win loss wise, six and twenty. <laughs> yeah so you know yeah uh as, as your friend jackson wheeler say we're playing against real players and that's those, right, black, right? He,
0: he is fond of saying that and i'm gonna name some of those real players here in a little while i'm gonna ask you about a couple of specific games but uh johnny what was it like i mean coming into that un, like i said unenviable situation and trying to make you know lemonade out of lemons with that that group of guys
1: well it it was kind of interesting because you know, when initially when I signed, the, the plan was was going to be where I was actually going to sit out that first year. Mm. And they were going to have uh, it was a it was a guy here, if you remember, I don't know if you remember, his name was Chad Hook. He kind of backed up AC and he was going to be the leading role okay. and he had some issues with Coach Wallace and he he left. So now they okay, we're gonna get Johnny cleared academically and throw him right in and that's why always I always, I respect these Juco guys who come in and have a, and are able to make that transition to the division one level and, and have some success. But that first year, it was tough, you know, even, even from a guy, cause I went from a scoring guard to, you know, be, being a distributor in a very complex G game offense, Right. And, and like the knots offense, that takes time to learn. And, and I struggled with it. But the second year, it was a lot better for me. Um, so it, it was – I had big shoes to fill with A.C. Carter. And with that said, though, I, my teammates were great, even though with that first season we had a very tough year. I think we played five top ten teams that season. And But, you know, some of, some of my best friends right now were on that team, and we still – have a relationship today and still talk to Coach Wallace from time to time. Obviously, Jackson Wheeler and, and Bob Nash, great, great people in my life. And yeah, I, like I said, I have no regrets.
0: Well, you guys also had, had a guy named uh, Predrag Savovic redshirting yep. sitting out that year. <laughs> and uh, so he, he, he comes off uh, off the, that restriction the following year. You guys, you bring in guys like Narius Puita to the team. Yep. And uh, that's the '99-2000 team, and I think you could really start to see the some of the success that was to come the next two years, especially getting to the back-to-back NCAA tournaments. Uh, yeah. You you had graduated by that point and finished up your eligibility, but you guys did go 17 and 12 that year, uh, which was a, you know a marked improvement from you know Six. that that blip <laughs> of a previous year, right? Because yeah. um, I think the fans had had probably gotten used to some quality basketball, right? And so
1: absolutely. Um, And back then the fan support, the fan support is great now, but even though we were terrible, (laughs) you know, I think we still averaged like 7,000 a game, right? It was just, yeah. And just because of the overflow from the AC and Alika years. And I mean, Coach Wallace had a huge fan base. And I mean, the stand sheriff used to be amazing. Not that it's not now, it's just not at the capacity that it used to be. Um, But yeah, we, we had, we had a, my two years here playing for, for Coach Wallace in the, in the University of Hawaii was, was pretty cool. All
0: right. Well, I was about to ask you about Coach Wallace anyway and what it was like for you playing for him because, I mean, you're, you're point guard and you're head coach. You're, you really want to have, you know, things pretty much synced up. I mean, you, you want to be understanding each other at all times. I think that's fair to say. And, um, you know, Riley, Riley had a deserved reputation as an old school mm-hmm. coach. Uh, as I said, lasted, you know, he's the winningest coach in program history, 20 years as the head man. Um, what was it like for you, Johnny, in your experience with coach, coach Wallace? And, um, do you think his coaching style would, would translate to today, to this era right now?
1: I think it would translate to this area. The, the one thing I would say, you know, from the outside looking in, most people think coach Wallace is this hard nose, tough guy, no nonsense. I would have to beg to differ. I mean, he's actually a very caring, compassionate person. However, he, he wants you to, he wants you to do your job. And if you're not doing your job, he's going to let you know um, there's, I don't think there's anything that the one thing I, I loved about coach Wallace is that he never, he always took the, the blame. He, he always took the blame when we lost and he gave the credits to the players when you, when you won. And you respected that out of him. And, and whatever was going on in, in, in the locker room, it stayed there, right? So I think I learned a lot from him as, as a person and, and how to go by your day and, and how to treat people. But like I say, on the outside, people can see this tough nose, hard nose, get in your face, get after you kind of guy. He really wasn't that unless you weren't doing what you were supposed to do.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, so, well, Johnny, from that 17 and 12 season, your senior year, I I went back through the archives and I found two games in particular in which you feature prominently one, one, you'll probably like one, maybe, (laughs) maybe a little less so, but, but you, like I said, you did feature prominently in both of them. All right. So which, which one of the two do you want first?
1: I don't know. The one I like, I guess. All right. We'll do
0: the, we'll do the one you like first. So, Okay. Uh, uh, so UH got off to an 0-2 start in, in WAC play. And as you said, I mean, there was some, or as, as Jackson Wheeler would say, there were some real players back then, uh, pretty much whoever you played in the old WAC. Uh, third game up was a home game at the Stan Sheriff against TCU, uh, <laughs> Jan- January 15, 2000. And you guys needed a win in an awful way. And it just so happened that TCU featured a guy that you played high school ball with. Yes. Uh, Mar- Marquise Gaines. And uh, he, he scored 38 points, Johnny, but, but you guys came away with a 90 to 86 victory and you hit the clinching free throws among your tw- 20 points, which I believe was a career high. Maybe you topped that later. I'm not sure, but at least at that point was a, I believe a career high and uh, you guys got in the win column and, and then you got, had the bragging rights with uh, with your old friend.
1: Absolutely. And Marquise Gaines, that was my my high school center. Just a smooth left hand, 6'11 can can do it all. But that summer I had the bragging rights when we went home for TCU. And and that, that was a really good game. I remember he hit a three late in that game to kind of tie it up to give him his 38 point. And he, he was an amazing player. TCU had a, a really good team. Who was their coach? They had a legendary coach at that time. Um, I forgot his name, but yeah, um, that, that was, a, that was a pretty special game just because, you know, Billy Tubbs. I'm sorry.
0: Was it Billy Tubbs?
1: Billy Tubbs was, was it Billy Tubbs? Yep, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Billy Tubbs was the coach, but you know, two guys from, from the city of Orlando, Florida, have an opportunity to, cause Orlando wasn't known for basketball. Right. So, you know, having an opportunity for, two, two city Orlando guys playing together on, on a division one stage. And, you know, our, out in
0: Hawaii our, of all places,
1: out in Hawaii of all places, our friends at home are, are watching and our, our high school coach got involved. So we had all this little, you know, camaraderie and, and we ended up winning. And to this day, Marquis is one of my good friends.
0: Well, I found a quote from you, Johnny, uh, that ran in the advertiser the next day, and uh, you told the advertiser, quote, Coach Wallace told me some of the things that were being said on the call-in radio shows, but that didn't bother me. We kind of joked about it, really, because those people don't know what my role is.
1: Right. (laughs) Did I say that? You did. I was like a 20-year-old Johnny. I probably didn't know what I was talking about at that time. (laughs) But like I say, Coach Wallace always backed me, but he kind of knew how to that was a good thing about Wallace. Like he knew how to get you. He knew how to short term motivate you, right. To get you up for a game or get you up for a player. If you're defending, he'll, he'll always say the right things kind of in the right moments where it makes you mad. Right. And then you want to prove them wrong or it's just, you know, to light that fire under you. So you can, so you can go hard.
0: Well, it certainly, certainly worked and, and paid off for you guys in that instance. It was a home and home situation with TCU and the WAC that year, so you guys did have to go to Fort Worth, play them there. I think they got you guys by by eight to ten points or something like that. But that's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you got the you got the one that can't that that really matters in the lore <laughs> of the Court Sense podcast. So, right. all right, Johnny. So the other game, and it's it's undoubtedly a classic. I mean, I'm I'm sorry I didn't see this game live. I don't have any kind of personal memory of it in my in my memory banks and you might know which one I'm talking about and it, it actually was the, the final game of your career against Fresno State in, in the WAC tournament yes second round double overtime highest scoring game in WAC tournament history to that point I, I don't know if that really? still stands or not 103 to 100 was the final score wow you know and fresno i mean you want to talk about real players i mean melvin eli courtney alexander uh you know, nba larry caliber abney. guys
1: three nba players on that roster
0: right uh yeah. who was the third
1: um was it larry abney or Terrence oh. robertson
0: Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll try to find that out. I'll try to find that out. It might've
1: been the guy named Terrence Roberson. He played and he made just a small stint.
0: Oh, you know what? I, I jotted down Roberson's name. So, so you're right. That, that I guess was him. Um, and so Johnny, I mean, this, this game hotly contested game, as I said, double overtime, guy named Demetrius Porter hits the three to win it at the double overtime buzzer from like the top of the key. Uh, Shoot. And then Fresno goes on to beat Tulsa in, in the title game. You, you know, had a, a big game. You had 19 points, five assists, three steals, 45 minutes played in a pos- out of a possible 50 minutes, double overtime game. Oh. Uh, pretty incredible stuff. Uh, you know, you told the advertiser quote, we didn't hold anything back. We fought to the end We're rainbows and we proud and we never gave up. And then uh, Steven Sai, who was the advertiser reporter there on site in Fresno at the uh, Seland arena uh, jotted down something you said to to Terrence Roberson late in the game that you you guys must've been standing next to Steven or something, but uh, you said, you leaned over to him and said, admit it, this is a great game. You're having too much fun to see it. end." Uh, he, <laughs> he quoted you saying that to him. Um, how much do you remember from this game?
1: We got robbed. <laughs> That's all I remember, right? Mike McIntyre in, in regulation with like, Six seconds left. We're I think we're up two. Mike McIntyre, God bless the dead. He passed away about three mm-hmm. years on us. Yeah, he got a clean steal. Like it, it wasn't. If they had replay in that situation, they would have overturned the call. Right, he got a clean steal, but they they called the foul and Courtney Alexander went ahead and, and and hit two free throws to put the game in the overtime, the first overtime. And it, it, was just a, it was just one of those games where nobody wanted to quit. And Hawaii, we were playing at Fresno in the mm-hmm. WAC, in the WAC um, tournament, and Hawaii had a huge following. And they had Jerry Tarcanias as their coach. So it was a sold-out arena. And we, we hadn't beat Fresno in, in, in two years. The year before that, they had Chris Heron as well. And it, it was just one of those games where the seniors, um, Marquette, myself, Jeremy Robinson – just didn't want to go home. And and we we felt that we had just beat SMU, and we felt that we were playing well at the end of the season. Savo was coming into his own. Uh, Marquette was one of the best big men. I mean, Melvin Eli couldn't do anything with him. He was a younger Melvin Eli, but, you know, we, we were playing our best basketball right when you're supposed to be playing your best basketball and had an opportunity if we won that game to – get in the championship game and possibly be good a get a bid in the NCAA tournament. However, it, it Porter hit a, hit a great shot right at the buzzer and you know, we, we held our heads up high and they, I think we, they, we earned, they earned, we earned their respect and in that, in that game there. And I mean, they, they won it. That's that's all we can say. We didn't finish it. And I did miss a layup in regulation.
0: I was going to ask you about that. Uh, it was noted in the story that there was like a, you had a, a runner or something.
1: I had a runner. It was four seconds left in regulation after Courtney hit those two free throws. We, we, we always had this sideline out of bounds play that um you ran on make or misses and we ran it perfectly. And I, I got down the court in four seconds and it was me and Melvin Eli. And I just had to kind of push it a little bit higher cause he was a seven footer and it just, rolled off in overtime and overtime and they got the best of us in, in, in double overtime and our Marquette our best player fouled out in regulation and that was the thing we just we, it it was no quit right
0: I, I' read that you had three of your three starters or at least three of the you know primary rotation guys foul out yeah. and uh I believe um coach Wallace called upon uh trey. Uh, is like he's a walk-on, right? And uh, like end of the rotation guy, and he had actually hit a crucial basket or points, like in double OT. He
1: did. He <laughs> hit a crucial basket in double OT.
0: Who Who am I talking about, Johnny? Last name
1: is it Stallworth? Uh,
0: Stovall. Is it was Stovall. It Stovall? Trey
1: Stovall. Trey Stovall. Yeah. yeah. I hadn't seen or heard that name in 20 years, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Stovall hit a huge. He was a walk-on. May have played five minutes the whole season and he was put in this position and cause we had a lot of people file out and he was the only one available and he came in and he didn't shine on either. He had a huge shot for us in, in the first overtime.
0: Well, well that, that hard luck, not getting it that year, but I mean, yeah,
1: that, that was a great game. That was probably, I would say the one of the most intense games I've ever been a part of on all levels.
0: That that's, I mean, what can you say other than that? You know, that's uh tip your cap, I suppose. And uh from there, Johnny, I mean, what kind of did the future hold hold for you? Did you like try your hand at, you know, at, at Pro Ball anywhere? Uh what what kind of filled your time from then until uh you latched on with with Coach Nash's staff for for a couple of years there, as we talked about?
1: I, I, did, I did try my hand in, in some semi-pro leagues or pro leagues, whatever you want to call them. I, I had a contract in France, and nine eleven happened. And I elected not to go to France, but I went to the D League. Um, I played in the D League for a team called – it's now the G League, Fayetteville Patriots. And it's funny how that all came full circle. But I played for the Fayetteville Patriots. I was on the practice squad for the majority of the year with an injury. Then I got activated like the last two weeks of the season and played in the playoffs. And we got to the finals in, in the, in the D league. Um, wow. I played for coach Jeff Capel. He was Just
0: Capel. How about that? senior,
1: senior. Yep. He, yeah. you know, he coached a long time in the NBA. He was old Dominions coach. Now his son um, Jeff is coach at Pitt. Right. And Jason is a, is an analyst on on ESPN. But I played for Coach Capel. We had an amazing team there in the D League. um, Jason played on our – Jason Capel was there. A little guard by Omar Cook was there, played for St. John. We had another guard, Terrell McIntyre. He was an ACC first team at Clemson. And we got to the championship game. We were up eight with two minutes left to a team in Mobile, Alabama, and they came back and beat us at home.
0: Oh, eight with two minutes left, Johnny.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, so brutal. I'm not a, I'm not a G League champion either. <laughs> oh man.
0: That would be that would be a pretty cool. I mean just to have played for a a, a D League title. I mean considering what it's become like a legitimate I mean it, it must have felt like it was in the early stages. I have to imagine when you were there, but was, but it now was it's a
1: second year of existence.
0: Second now. year? Wow. And and now it's like a legitimate feeder system. I mean players got two-way contracts. They're bouncing yeah. back and forth between their their G League team and the actual yeah. NBA roster. These days it might
1: have been 30. I had my team, uh, we, as I mentioned, some of the Omar cook, uh, Jason Capel, but we had Matt Barnes who was on the team. Wow. Who, who's had an incredible career in an NBA, like 17 years. We had another kid. He was the MVP of the D league that year. His name was Devin Brown.
0: Devin and Brown, San Antonio Spurs.
1: San Antonio Spurs has two NBA rings. Now he played with LeBron in Cleveland. I mean, we had some players on that team. And and, and I tell you this, it was, it was a great experience because even though, you know, I didn't play much there, but, you know, I, I practiced when I could, when I, when, when I was over the injury and my game just got so much better over that time. And then I went on and played in the in a summer league called USBL. And then I, I saw the writing on the wall that, hey, basketball, I'm not going to make a lot of money doing this. So let me go back to school. I went back to the University of Central Florida, got my degree, got into coaching, and now the rest is kind of history, right?
0: Right. So right after you were on staff with with Bob Nash, I think you were there for two of his three years that he was the head oh. coach. Uh, obviously, he was the associate head coach for your playing days at UH. He was there forever in that capacity. Uh, you, you took a circuitous route to being a head coach yourself. At least yeah. for a certain amount of time. Can you please tell tell the people how that came came to pass?
1: Well, as you mentioned, I I, I was here for two seasons as, as the grad and video coordinator for for Coach Nash, who who is just I, I can't say enough about him. I mean, I remember that last game, and he he struggled for a couple of years, so we knew that was going to be the last game of the for for Nash, and they were going to pretty much let him go or go a different direction. And, I mean, everybody was in the locker room balling and just crying. I think we were in, like, Idaho. Sometimes.
0: Idaho or Boise State, one of those, right? Yeah.
1: We played Boise first and then we went okay. to Idaho. Idaho. It, yeah. I mean, everybody was crying, even Gannat. So, don't let Gannat tell you he wasn't crying when <laughs> that last game. Because Nash gave a speech and it just brought everybody to tears, right? Um, yeah, so – when, when Nash left they they hired Gib Arnold and I was under Gibb's staff. Gib kind of kept me in the same role and September of that year i, I got a call I have a good friend he now coaches at Old Miss his name is Ronnie Hamilton. I got a call from I guess one of his buddies at the time who had just got the job at his university of Division two school in in North Carolina St Augustine's. And he was like, "Hey, uh, you know, I heard you. You're up and coming. You're a good coach, and I just got this job. Ronnie speaks highly of you. I want to hire you." And obviously, I was loyal to Hawaii and Gibb, so I went to Gibb and got his thoughts. And he said, "You got to leave." He said, "If if somebody's going to pay you to be a full time assistant, take the job." And I took the job. We were there a couple of seasons. Um, had the freshman of the year, we recruited the freshman of the year that year, Joel Kendrit. We we struggled on the wins and loss side playing in the CIAA. Second year, we were a lot better, and they still fired my uh, my boss, um, Ken Spencer. He's he's been a head coach in in Division Two for for a while now, and and when they fired him, they made me the interim head coach for. So I was the intern for like three months, right? And all I had to do was make sure the guys were out of season at that point. I had to just make sure everything was still moving in the right direction with recruiting, making sure guys are getting their grades, and we have a a spring workout schedule and things like that. And they brought back the former coach who took them to the Division II um, tournament. His name's Lonnie Blow. They brought him back. I had an opportunity to stay there. However... In that transition, I was still in communication with Coach Wallace, and he mentioned that Hawaii could potentially have an opening to do some broadcasting stuff for the university. And I was like, an opportunity to go back to Hawaii? Absolutely. So he set up the meeting with, with um Dan Schmidt. And we had lunch in, in Pearl City. And then that season started, and it was me, Bill Amos, and Howard Deshewski oh. on, on the sideline.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and you are the lone survivor of that, my friend.
1: I was the lone survivor of those three, but yeah, Bill Amos he he went on and played some some ball in Europe, so that's why he's probably, you know, not over there. And we know where Howard is now, doing the K H O N two news. And now I, I, I sit aside with my guys, Kavika hallams and and Scott Rose.
0: And it's been that crew. Correct me if I'm wrong. What the last five? five years i mean you guys were there when when the that incredibles team put together that ncaa tournament run um so i mean you guys are a seasoned crew at this at this point and i I,
1: yeah i think you're right because bill layman's and myself we did 2012 and 13 season and after that bill only did one season and after that it was it's been kavika myself scott and Coach Solito were, was there for a couple of seasons. Sure, so. sure. But yeah, for the most part, like I said, we have that chemistry. So even though we're 150 feet apart, we kind of still feel each other's energy because we kind of know each other, right? Which is very important. All right.
0: Well, that's uh, excellent, Johnny. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, you know, part of your journey. And, uh, you know, ongoing, right? I mean, that's, who knows what what will shake out exactly from, from this crazy year. Um, I guess uh, – my last question for you, Johnny White, would be what do you anticipate for this group, these bows, as they look ahead to Big West play starting on uh, December 27 with Cal Poly coming here for, for two games in theory? If, you know, if everything works out, knock on wood or whatever you got handy, because who knows what's going to happen in this crazy year, right? Um, right. Do you think, I mean, the Big West gets through this all? Is, is that your hunch or or do you suspect not so much?
1: It's just so unknown. Um, I, I I thought you know me and Scott Ross was talking off air and we you know will the Big West get through the entire season because every team other than Hawaii is in California and you know right now with the pandemic is a very challenging situation as far as travel based on the government mandates there. So you know we we figured they should just have a create a bubble here at the Simplify Arena and have all the teams here for two months and they get, they can spread out in the hotels and men's and women's and just have that bubble here. However, I I do believe, I'm optimistic that they will get through it um, to get a team at least in the NCAA tournament. I think March Madness will happen this year. It's just money reasons It's so much money they lose if they don't put that, that, that tournament on with, with the TV contracts. As far as the University of Hawaii and, and on a competitive level, I think they're going to play hard each and every game. That's just kind of the culture. And I, I think it's going to take a while for them to gel. And, you know, that that senior leadership in James Jean-Marie and, 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 and the experience that Webster has, I think that's going to play a, a huge role. I think they are going to be a more inside-out kind of team, but once they get rolling and trust one another, I, I, I do believe that we we know Coach Ronga. Not teams are some of the most prepared teams when they do hit the floor. They might not have the talent um, each year to to compete with the other teams on talent level, but preparedness and and schemes and and knowing what they're supposed to do, they're they're one of the better teams preparedness wise in the big west so I think that's still going to go a long way if, if they can somehow find a way to to be a really really good defensive team with with everybody being in the same situation with lack of practice time a lot of newcomers not a, not a preseason, um, I think it's going to kind of going to be up in the air for for any team I think the team who who comes out of the big west is a team that is going to come together and and beat the odds of of overcoming all the challenges that they have to deal with this season.
0: Of which there will be quite a few, if I had to yep. imagine. So yeah, Johnny, well, thanks again, man. Uh it was great to have you on. And I will, I'm sure, see you down at the Simplify Arena <laughs> at Stan Sheriff Center by Bank of Hawaii. Maybe there's another name in there somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> right. But uh good to have you man.
1: Yeah, Brian. Always good seeing you, man. Can't wait to. Hopefully, we can get some fans in the game in January and have them spread out, and you know, bring that atmosphere back for for the kids, for the players. <laughs>